Hey there, my name is Madison and I'm one of the pastors at Kainos Church in Portland, Oregon. This teaching you're about to listen to is from one of our Kainos collectives. These gatherings happen once a month, typically the first Sunday of the month, and serve as a time for us to worship together and learn from the scriptures. On the following Sundays of each month, we gather in smaller groups inside homes. We call these Kainos communities. Here we share a meal and discuss the Bible together. For more information about Kainos, feel free to visit kainospdx.org. The hope of Kainos Church is that we are people finding fresh and fulfilled life in Jesus. Hello. We had some technical difficulties um, the morning of this teaching, which really is just code for I goofed up. And so I am re-recording this teaching um, after the fact. Um, this is a teaching in the John I Am series that we've been doing, um, and it's from Sunday, March 5th. Today, we are going to continue examining the Gospel of John. Since last November, we've been following this journey of Jesus in this book, looking at stories of his birth, his ministry, his miracles, his friendships, and his teachings. Most of these have been discussions in our Kainos communities, but here at The Collectives, we've been taking a deep dive into each of his seven I Am statements in John. In seven different moments in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a claim about himself that starts with I Am. This is significant because, as you might remember from when we studied the Old Testament, this phrase has been used by God before. Back in the book of Exodus, at least a thousand years before Jesus, a man named Moses had a moment with God. God had told Moses that he had a plan to rescue the people of Israel from the Egyptians who had been enslaving them for generations. And Moses asked him, when the people ask me who you are, what should I tell them your name is? And God, for the first time in history, reveals his name as Yahweh in Hebrew, which means I am what I am, which has always been kind of weird to me. Like, I think if I were to translate that, God is kind of saying, it's me. Hello. (laughs) Um, This is such a big and important moment in the story of God and humans and a very personal thing that God is revealing about himself. But it's still very mysterious. And then we have Jesus come onto the scene and he starts using this I am language that was familiar to those who studied and followed the ancient Hebrew text. He applied it to himself and then he added on to it. In these I am statements, Jesus is claiming to be God, the same God who Moses encountered. But he's also revealing more to us about who this God is and often in tangible, more down to earth ways. He says, I am the bread of life, which Justin talked about back in November. He says, I am the good shepherd, which Becca explained in December. He said, I am the light, which Jake talked about during our Christmas service. And so on. In many of these statements, Jesus uses this I am language and pairs it with something common and familiar to the audience. Bread, light, door, gate, and today, vines. So let's go back to John 15, our text today. In John 15, Jesus is having dinner with his disciples just days before his death and giving them a last overview of everything he wants them to understand. Some of Jesus's richest and most intense teachings come from this section of John, which makes sense. He's trying to leave his friends with parting words that will carry them forward. 
And it's here that Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now here's a moment of confession I have for you. Some juicy vulnerability I'm so good at. (laughs) Um, Often in my life, when I have read this passage, I felt um, guilt and anxiousness. I didn't really fully realize this was my reaction until I was assigned this topic to speak on. Full disclosure, um, we had lined up a guest speaker to talk today. Um, He's this man, his name is Sean. He's really wise and peaceful and joyful, and he's um, been a mentor for Jake and I and Abigail and Justin, um, and has really been some behind-the-scenes spiritual guidance for Kainos Church. He's really the perfect person to speak on a life about abiding in Jesus. But he ended up having to have surgery and couldn't speak today after all. So the topic was reassigned to me. And my first thought was, oh, great, the passage I don't really like. And the reason this passage has given me so much struggle is it makes me feel pressure. I've just felt pressure. Instead of focusing on the vine, I've put my energy on focusing on my role as the branch, on being good at hanging on to the vine, on making sure my fruit is good and plentiful, etc., I tell you all this because maybe some of you can relate to that emotion. Maybe some of you think I'm very tightly wound, which is true. But whatever this emotion, emotion, this passage of scripture brings up to you, I want you to take note of it, become aware of it, and reopen yourself up to fresh meaning. Because that's what God has given me over the last few weeks. So let's return and read again. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus uses this analogy because vineyards would have been so common to the Jewish audience. I can imagine Jesus um, motioning out the window toward the vineyard next door as he explains. So first in verse 1, he says he is the true grapevine, the one and only. And he works in tandem with God, the gardener or the vine dresser. Verse 2 is already where some of my nerves start to creep in. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. My worry starts here. (laughs) What if I'm the branch that gets cut off? Um, But this time, I realized that I just needed to read one verse further to have my worries calmed. Because verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That word clean is pruned and purified in other translations. Essentially, if you hear and receive this message of Jesus, congratulations, it's already happening. You're already a healthy branch that's being pruned by Jesus' words and his ways. I think this analogy of pruning is fun because it's so observable in real life. When I was growing up, my dad was a landscaper, and so he was always in our yard with pruning scissors, cutting trees and bushes back. Uh, But it became more real for me when about a year ago he took a pair of pruning scissors to this beautiful Japanese maple tree in our backyard. I had given him permission to prune it, um, and but when I came back about 20 minutes later, I gasped because it was like bald. There's so much carnage of this tree on the ground. Um, But he reassured me that in the springtime, the tree would be much healthier because of the pruning. It was too overgrown. Um, Sunlight couldn't get to the important parts of the tree. 
And he was right. Left to the care of Jake and I, or really the lack thereof care, the Japanese maple wouldn't reach the same potential that it could after the pruning of a skilled landscaper. So what does it look like when God takes the pruning scissors to our lives? This process is called sanctification elsewhere in scripture. It's the idea of God shaping and forming us to look more like Jesus, to rid us of unnecessary baggage, sin, and distraction so that we can become our true selves, ourselves that look most like the image of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews 10:14 because it so sweetly and succinctly explains this process. It says, "For by a single offering Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." In other words, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have made you perfect and purified and a part of the fruit-bearing vineyard. And at the same time, the spirit of God is still at work within you. Salvation isn't the only goal of God's. It actually goes beyond that. God wants us to live abundantly. Just like my dad knows the specific needs of a Japanese maple, so too does God know the specific ways you will most flourish and thrive. Okay, heading back to John 15, verse 4 introduces us to this phrase that Jesus will repeat a couple more times. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Different translations say this part differently. Um, Some say remain in me. Many say abide in me. Some say stay joined to me. And here re-enters my nerves because this idea of abiding in Jesus has always felt kind of aloof to me. What does it mean to abide in a Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago? And does a branch even have that much say on how stuck they are to a vine? And what if I'm not good at abiding, not a good abider? Does how good I am at abiding correlate to how much fruit I can produce? All these questions come up for me when I read this. I mean, this passage have never been good friends. But recently, I felt like God gave me a new perspective in the form of a one-year-old little girl. My daughter, Noah, um, you all know her. She's very cute. Um, But some of you are also starting to see that she is very independent and stubborn. Um, I think strong-willed is the correct term. (laughs) I I really prayed for an independent and strong girl, but um, am I regretting that? Maybe. The other day, we had to take her to the doctor, and long story short, she got an x-ray on her arm. And it took, Jake was in there with her, it took him and two other medical professionals to pin her down long enough to get the x-ray. And she was in one of those rooms that it was like an instantaneous x-ray. But still, three people pinning her down for long enough to just get that one shot. The technician even said that they had never seen someone so small be so strong. But with all her strength and opinions and independence, she still, for now, wants me to hold her. She's been waking up around 4 a.m. for the past few months, and as terrible as that sounds, it's actually become one of my favorite parts of the day. Because every morning I go into her room and I pick her up, and she immediately stops crying, she rests her head on my shoulder, she gets heavy, and she's calm, she's trusting, and she's at home in those moments. And this is the picture that came to mind this time when I struggled with the concept of abiding. It was less about rules, regulations, and regimens for the first time, and more about a little girl finding peace in the arms of her parent. 
When Jesus says to remain in him, I don't think he intended that it would be a burdensome command, which is how I've often perceived it. I think he intended it to be a restful one, one that blesses us. I like the way the message translation says it best. Make your home in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. Jesus' ask is a simple one. Make me your home. Find your life in me. Settle down and stay a while. It's simple. But let's make no mistake, it is costly. Jesus is asking for nothing less than your life. For your lifelong loyalty to the God who claims I am. I am worthy of your commitment. I am capable of working through you. I am what this teaching is all about. I want to make a note here. Lifelong loyalty does not mean lifelong perfection. It does not mean never having doubts, questions, or fears, never having struggle. The Bible is full of people that were committed to God that still held all of those things at some point in their life, often multiple points in their life. But in the midst of those moments, seasons, or years, he wants you to make your life in him. He wants to be the comfortable place that you start and end your day, the place you come back to, the place you find safety and peace. And this request comes with a promise. If you do make your home with him, then you will produce fruit. Going back to John 15, this time we'll stay in the message translation. It says um, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown onto the bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home with you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is, when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. In preparation for this, um, I actually listened to a podcast about how wine is made. I know we have a few experts that I really should, should have gone to here in our kind of church. Um, shout out Julia, Luke, Alyssa, you all are my personal wine experts. Um, but the podcast was fun. I found it interesting. The host spent some time explaining the role of the vine. Like any plant with a base root structure, the vine is the grounding element for the plant. It's the vehicle that pulls the nutrients from the ground, pulls the water from the ground, distributes it out to the branch. It is all the work. The branches just hang there, look pretty, grow fruit. The thing I didn't know was that grapevines are especially good at growing in bad soil. The ground can be hard and rocky and grapes grow just fine. That's why you'll often see vineyards on hillsides and in valleys um, or in dry places like the Middle East or Napa Valley or Walla Walla, Washington. The vines are perfectly capable of growing and producing fruit no matter what the soil. Which brings me back to the passage. Jesus says, make your home in me and there you go. There's going to be good fruit. The soil is rough out there. Pretty positive you can't do it on your own. Let me do the hard work of making good things out of hard situations. I'd love for you to be my partner, the people that I can hang my good fruit upon. Verse 6 sounds pretty intense, um, and I think Jesus is taking the analogy to its furthest conclusion. It says, anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. 
he's explaining. The soil is so rough, the elements are so hard, you have no nutrient apart from a life in me. Forget about the possibility to make good fruit, lasting fruit. Life void of my sustenance will render you dry as firewood. And then verse 7 flips the script and gives you a glimpse into the life of a person that does make their home in him. It says, but if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. This, there's this promise that life with Jesus will be fruitful. And when you ask for fruit, it'll be given to you. So what exactly is this fruit? This thing that Jesus is so confident in, he's so eager and excited to give his followers. I think we catch a glimpse in the next paragraph. Verse 9 says, I have loved you even as my Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here, Jesus said that the fruit is love, that the thing that grows out from a life joined to Jesus is love. And like a grape seed grows into a vine that grows into branches that grows grapes, it's the first the love of God that is the seed that grows into love for our own life. Now there's so much about Jesus that is worthy of our life's attention. His wisdom, his holiness, his power, but it's his love that he tells us to abide in to focus on, to understand really well, to rehearse over and over again. And there's so much about the life of a Jesus follower that is important markers of spiritual maturity. Again, wisdom, holiness, humility, the list goes on. But it's love that Jesus is most intent on us producing. John 15 verse 12 goes on to say, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This Jesus fruit, this Jesus love, isn't surface level love. It's not people pleasing love. It's not romantic love. It's not I love you, but I don't like you type of love. We all know that one well. He describes his love very clearly. He says his love is sacrifice, living a life for the sake of others. Last week in our Kainos communities, we discussed John 13, which is a conversation that's happening the same night as these words that Jesus is saying in this passage today. We talked about this moment in John 13 where Jesus takes off his jacket and puts on a towel and washes his friend's feet. A moment of extreme humility and sacrifice where not only their rabbi, but their God took off his place of power and put on the uniform of a servant to love his friends. Jesus has already shown them sacrificial love in moments like this throughout his ministry. But here, in John 15, verse 13, he hints at what's to come. The ultimate moment of sacrificial love, when just in a few days he will die on the cross for his friends. It's this act that gives us the assurance of God's love. It's this type of love, one where Jesus would lay down his life for us, that we get to make our home in. And it's this type of example that we get to follow. And that following will be very imperfect. I think that's why God delights to give us more when we ask. When we need more love for others and pray for that, we will receive it. 
because that's when we look most like God. Um, back to John 15 and verse 11, it says, I have told you these things that you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This verse is tucked in the middle, but I don't want it to get lost because Jesus' hope for this message was that it would give us joy. Joy overflowing, joy abundant. That this abiding in love and producing love would result in a life that is full of joy. And what a sweet invitation. Maybe you're listening and you're not quite at a place where you're ready to commit to a life of making your home in Jesus. Jesus had space for you. He often invited new friends to come and see. He knows that the request to come and make your home in him is a big one. You can start with coming over and seeing what he's about, what he's like, and that's okay. But he doesn't want you to settle for that in and out, coming and going type of friendship. He wants an abiding, committed, lifelong loyalty because he has given that to you. If you are someone who has decided to make your home with Jesus, then he has given us some practical ways to be awake to that reality, to really be alive to the fact that the most true thing about you is that you are connected to God, and to be so aware of it that the fruit of love comes out of you. These practical tools are called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. I like to think of them as drills. I ran track in high school and college, and I have a library of weird ways to move my body that can help prepare me for a race. In fact, um, these are so ingrained in me that I've recently realized that most of my dance moves are really just track drills that I'm doing in place on the dance floor. (laughs) They're so a part of me that I can't help but do them, which I think is Jesus' same hope for spiritual practices. Um, Or to keep it in Jesus' vineyard analogy, spiritual practices are like farming tools. Necessary tools to help us remember lifelong loyalty to God and also to participate in that pruning process, that sanctification work, and that fruit bearing that he's doing in us. Um, There's many different spiritual practices. I'm going to highlight four that are kind of relevant to our community right now. Um, One is baptism. Baptism is a moment where we claim Jesus as our source of life publicly. It's a sweet marker for many Christians, something to look back on as a public decoration of lifelong loyalty to God. We'll likely have some spring opportunities for baptisms, perhaps on Easter or just in a Kainos community. We promise to have the water warmed up for you if that's something you'd like to consider. Another is prayer. Prayer is one of the most basic ways to remember that we are a branch to the vine. In prayer, we are submitting our thoughts, our hopes, our hurts to God and asking him to make good fruit. There are a ton of ways to talk to God and to listen to God in prayer. One way that we've recently started practicing as a church is a scheduled once-weekly community prayer. On Wednesdays at lunchtime, there's a prompt that goes out. We send it in in text, and email, and Instagram. Hopefully you've seen it. Um, It's a chance to pause and remember our source of life and pray about something in particular together. Prayer rhythms like this are often helpful ways to make make prayer a regular part of our life. Um, A third practice is fasting. Um, This is where we intentionally give up something we are abiding in in order to reorient our lives to the vine. I bring it up today because we're in the middle of Lent right now. Lent is the 40 calendar days before Easter and the time where traditionally Christians fast from something to awaken themselves to the reality of Easter Sunday. 
And here's my second confession of the morning. I have recently really gotten into the TV show Alias. Um, it's this, if you don't know it, it's one that was made in the early 2000s with Jennifer Gardner. And she's this really cool spy that goes all over the world, sees international places, and she's better than all the boys. It's great. And so I got really invested um, to the point where for like a week straight after we put Noah to bed, I would say goodnight, goodbye to Jake and spend the next few hours watching Alias by myself. And this is a problem because each episode is an hour long, like a full-fledged hour. And there are 22 episodes per season and six seasons. I don't even want to do the math at how many hours I was planning to spend watching alone. It got to the point where I realized I am making my home with Jennifer Gardner. (laughs) So in great sacrifice, I decided to give up Alias for Lent. Because I really did need to re-realize that my life is not um, as an early 2000s spy. But remember that my home is made with Jesus. um, And it's often a good practice for my time to reflect that. Um, A last spiritual practice that I'll hit on is community. Um, We put a lot of focus on community at Kainos, um, spiritual community. And this is intentionally spending time with people that are different than us in order to encourage one another in a life abiding in Jesus. This practice of community is where we really start to see the fruit of love come into play in making one another a priority in our lives and serving one another and including more and more people into this family, we get to see Jesus' love alive in us. As I stand here this morning and reflect on the moments of community that we've shared together, loving one another, joy comes up for me, which is so much better than the guilt and shame and dread that used to come up for me when I heard this passage. I'm so thankful for Jesus' message that when rehearsed and chewed on and better understood, has given me a fresh understanding of abiding and has traded that guilt for joy. And I'll leave you with this final picture. When a whole bunch of us, a community of us, each make our home in Jesus, what that creates is a city or a kingdom of God that is producing love and joy. I'm so glad to be a part of that with you. I'll end here with a prayer. God, thank you for your love. One that's so sweet and so deep that you spared no expense. You stopped at nothing to be with us. Thank you for the chance to make our home with you and for the fruit that gets to grow from our lives when we are your children. Grow more fruit in us. Let your love settle over us and then grow out of us so that we can show the world what you are like and what joy and love there is in you. Amen.